Welcome to another episode of El Cafecito. My name is Leonardo Casenza. I'm your host for the second season, reminding everyone that El Cafecito is affiliated to the, to the Latin American Studies program. And we'd like to thank the Office of the Vice Provost at the University of Toronto for giving the award that made this podcast possible. Now for my introduction. Bolsonaro, ugh. Hi, everyone. I'm Juliana Vertoya, and I'm going to be speaking today. I am a Canadian, but I grew up in Chile. I am currently a second year at the University of Toronto. I am specializing in political science, and I'm very excited to be here. I just really wanted to share that I think it's crazy how Chile right now is, when looking at total cases per one million, per million, we're in fifth place. Hi, my name is um, Maria. I'm really excited to be here. And I just wanted to say that I have a love-hate relationship with politics and I'm really excited for this podcast. Hola, hello, Kyogo. My name is Raquel. And attention, Ecuador confirms more than 100k cases of COVID-19. Hey, everyone. It's Anna and the ex-president of Colombia is on house arrest during stay-at-home orders. Okay, so we're here to talk about the political reactions to the COVID pandemic here in Latin America. And I'd like to start this podcast by um, commenting on how in the beginning of the pandemic, it might be probably as early April. And I remember staying at home all day and having the, the quarantine routine as always and turning on the news at around 8 p.m. prime time in Rio in Brazil and President Bolsonaro coming up in the TV making an official announcement saying that the that coronavirus was a little flu and that it was a, a, a coming crisis that would come would go by fast and that we should preserve jobs above all and he said that he had a profile an athlete profile and because of that he wouldn't be affected by the the virus if he was ever infected which later he was infected And I, I was just astounded by this reaction that he had to the pandemic of, of complete denial and rejection of the problem. And I'm wondering, what was the political reaction um, in the beginning of the pandemic in your countries? Was it also a rejection like in Brazil? Because um, I was staggered to see how, how the federal, federal bureaucracy and the federal levels of, of jurisdiction in Brazil were absolutely ignorance and, and and rejected the crisis. So I'm wondering, what was the reaction in your countries? So in Colombia, I was actually reading, and I don't know how true this is, but our current president, Duque, said he was very prepared and he actually knew this was coming because he said that he had been reading World Health Organization reports since like mid-2019 warning of a respiratory pandemic. With that said, what happened in Colombia at the beginning of March is, you know, the pandemic arose globally. Mayors and municipalities actually took action quicker before the central government. And in Colombia, that's very rare. It's a very central, centralized government, a very presidential government, I guess you could say. And so, you know, all these little towns and stuff decided to take action and create their own measures. March 16th, the president formally declared a health emergency, began shutting things down. But then he said at that point, which is odd to me, that all the cities and municipalities and regions who had their own orders had to undo the orders and follow the lead of the central government. And then 10 days later, March 28th, he just made the same orders that 
all these other places had already done. So in that sense, there was kind of like a like headbutting between the regional and the central government. And many people think that that like miscommunication caused the uptick in deaths and uptick in cases because who are they supposed to listen to? The president or their mayor, right? So I don't know if any other countries kind of found something similar. Yeah, in Ecuador, um, we had a really similar situation. Uh, before everything started, there was a lot of miscommunication between um, not only like the provincial and the and like the national government, but between the different um, minis ministers. So for me, it was crazy to see that at late March, the Minister of Health resigned in the middle of the pandemic. And in the letter, in the resignation letter, what she said was, we don't have enough resources and I can't handle this situation. That is why I'm just leaving my position. So in that moment, there was a lot of conflict between the central government ministers and also provincial governments, specifically in Guayaquil. Then later on, we will see that the pandemic um, started there and it was the epicenter and there was a lot of pointing fingers between governments and saying you you should be the one doing uh, taking care of health but at the same time there was no one doing anything so i think that that escalated a lot i definitely can agree in chile i think we will never forget that day i i still remember the day it was the 19th of april it was 10 p.m. and we were all watching the news I, and then out of nowhere national television our president comes up and he says we're facing the worst global health pandemic that we've seen in a hundred years and Chile will never be the same and we will not see similar conducts to the ones we've seen in about two years and I think that's honestly something that just shocked the country given Chile is a country that's lived through a lot of things this is a moment what we won't forget and with this implementation of what was a new normal for us which included curfews which included just staying at home with this quarantine situation I think there was a lot of miscommunication with ministers and what the government was really expecting of them. Um, I think something that was really interesting is how well the 19th of April was when this new normal announcement came up, but then only the 30th of April we had a new shopping mall open up to test out the waters to see well maybe people can actually behave during this pandemic, yet only to have this shopping mall be closed the day after, and then have a lot of things happen again and again in Chile where the government trusts the different municipalities, yet they do something and things have to get constantly shut down. So I think it was a lot of a trial and error for a country, yet we have gotten to know that we just can't manage people and people can't be, people can't really work this way in the global pandemic. Yeah, I think the that's really interesting what Piñera said, that this is like the biggest crisis facing the country. And I was reading this morning that, you know, if we look at it on a bigger scale, this is the biggest crisis to face the region since World War II. And they were saying that, yeah, like there was a Spanish flu, there's pandemics before, but never has like all the leaders in Latin America and everyone had to communicate, coordinate as they have right now 
And it's the first time in history that, you know, this is all so recorded. You know, every time a president goes live on the news, goes on Facebook to give their announcement, like it's there, that's history. And I know in Colombia, uh, our president has been doing Facebook lives. So I don't know what's up in your countries. How are you guys getting the messages? I heard you said you heard it on the news. I think that a lot of politicians have used um, social media platforms to communicate with the people. I think they're trying to show themselves as equal in terms of that they are also experiencing the pandemic the same as we are all doing. So that's been like interesting to see that interaction of not only the president, but also the different ministers, the different city officials to see how they're trying to communicate with the citizens through these non, not common like media, like form. So that's been very, very interesting to see. And as uh, you, as you have mentioned, uh, our president as well, the Ecuadorian president, Lenin Moreno, he also announced that these, uh, the, the, the whole COVID-19 pandemic and crisis is like the, it's gonna have very like negative effects in our economy, but also in how the country works. And it's the, in all of our history, it's the pandemic that has had more like negative impacts at all. So that's very, very shocking because because we don't have anything to refer to. We don't know how to proceed, right? So I think that a lot of politicians were like, and also like health officials were very confused as to how to, like what to do next, how to proceed, because there's, we don't have a reference. We don't have a, a manual or a guide that we can go to and be like, okay, this is how we're supposed to do or what we're supposed to do. So I think that's one of the reasons why there was a lot of miscommunication between different officials and people that were giving advice to, to the government. Yeah, I think in Brazil happened something really similar to, in, to Colombia in the sense that the the federal level uh, represented by Bolsonaro was rejecting the crisis and um, looking for a, an economics way out of the, of the crisis thinking about unemployment and what these what and how it would generate effects economically to um, in Brazil and while the municipalities and the governors were being more down to earth and recognizing that it was an actual global pandemic and that they had to implement lockdown procedures where lockdowns were necessary or close down places where it was necessary and that's where a lot of the pressure came through in the beginning. And I think in the first two months, this pressure came from governors and municipalities, especially from, from the people that are worried and are still worried about the COVID situation. But it's, it's worrying for me to see the, that the most important level of bureaucracy in our country and the federal bureaucracy is completely um, unaware. And, in dis and I am disbelief because this rejection so the crisis is a major step backwards um, in Brazil to deal with even the most basic healthcare components of the crisis. So it's interesting to see how you have different levels of, of politics and how it interacts in a way that you're able to support ourselves throughout the quarantine because um, some measures were imposed early by these municipalities, while in the federal bureaucracy was, was still being denied and completely rejected for. And I think that's that's the same that's happening now as restrictions are being removed. You know, that same headbutting. I know the mayor of Bogota, you know, literally butt heads with the president 
in a in this conference that they were having saying that like it's ridiculous to open things up without knowing how you know transit and air circulation works and without taking these proper steps but for the president like the most important thing right now is getting people back to work and like making like rebuilding the economy so it's, you know i used to think health wasn't really a political issue but it, it totally is i feel also a point that's really insightful that Leonardo brought up is how it's really interesting how when you have a government that's trying to impose a policy, yet you have people who are very skeptical about it. I know that that's a really big case for Chile. And well, in Chile, a month after we started having this new uh, this new COVID standards, we had our cabinet be reshuffled. And only days later, we had our health minister resign. And after he resigned, he gave an interview, which was very controversial, but one of the points he brought up and he re-emphasized was that how the government, first of all, is very unpopular right now in Chile. Just in October, we had some really big protests. So right now, the government is not at its highest point. So already trying to create a COVID response that people would respect is hard. So just being the health minister there, trying to create a COVID response where people would respect in a country where the government is not really that respected is really hard. So trying to find an inclusive and participatory approach is just certainly a task that not everyone can do. And especially in the poor southern suburbs in our country where honestly a lot of people live in a day-to-day -day basis. So just putting regions in a quarantine is a measure that is a very controversial and b is a measure that maybe shouldn't be taken for a very long period of time because in Chile at least has been shown time and time again where people will just break the quarantine and it's not because they just want to break it because oh how fun can it be to leave my house when I have a quarantine but it's more that there's people in our country because there's a really big inequality who live on a day-to-day -day basis and if they're not working or if they're not doing anything they will not eat that day so I think that it's really interesting and I, I really dwell with this idea of how can governments create a response or a policy where people will respect it when they're so unpopular and you have so many people that live on a day-to-day -day basis i think this is one of the biggest problems that latin america has been facing currently that it's how can you deal with this when you have even bigger problems to deal with on a day-to-day -day basis okay i think that one of the examples that we can we can use to uh, for these for the point that you just brought up um, so, for example, Ecuador, the, the government gave uh, $60, I think, per family in April and May to, like, each family, right? But that's only, like, $60. So, like, I guess that they were trying to give some kind of monetary aid to families for them to pay for, for basic services. But as, as we can see, I mean, with $60, like, what, what, what can you do with that? So, I guess that it, it's hard to make sure that people are people are following uh, the different guidelines. But I think that in these type of scenarios, I think it's important for citizens that depend on a like daily income to receive some kind of governmental uh, economic aid. Uh, unfortunately, our uh, we, we are facing one of our the worst economic crises. So the, the aid that the government can provide is not as big as, for example, what Canadians are getting during this time. Um, so I think just to, to emphasize my point is that so governments can, can use different monetary services to support those 
citizens that depend on a, a daily income. Yeah, I think that what you just said and also what Juliana said, it's really important to emphasize these inequalities that the region has and specifically I think that the region had a lot of problems starting in October where we had a lot of protests and waves waves of protests not only in Ecuador but in Chile in in literally like every country so the moment that we start with the pandemic there's also a lot of corruption going on and the governments just don't have credibility and to add that to that you have this constant fight between uh, the different levels of government and in Ecuador what it has been really surprising for me is that there's a lot of arguments between like the medical associations with the government because the government says something and doctors say like I'm sorry but your measures are not the um, the best ones in this situation so as citizens we are in a position of we don't know who to trust we don't know who, who we should um, believe and as you Raquel mentioned also in Ecuador we had a, we right now have a lot a lot of debt so that means that we didn't have the resources before the pandemic but now we that's the government started cutting a lot of pensions and for example a lot of uh, national public institutions disappeared because of the pandemic and that means that a lot of people just gets like they they get unemployed so it's it is all of this uh, together but i think that emphasizing that before the pandemic particularly latin america was in unstable and like totally unstable situation which just made everything worse Yeah, that's that's an excellent point because that moment what that makes me think of is, you know, at least in my country, it's like extremely neoliberal, very conservative. And and the way the government has created policy in the past before the pandemic, it's been very, you know, economic based and it doesn't really provide social security nets for its people, like what you were getting at, Jamila. Like how can they create these new policies? when it doesn't work and people don't believe because the government hasn't been for, there for them before. Like, yes, in Colombia, we do have some social programs, but it's not to the extent in other countries. Very much the way that politics works is, you know, you're responsible for yourself. It's the responsabilization of self and of family and of eating and taking care of yourself is your responsibility, not the state's. And that the consequences of those policies are being seen today. And, you know, like, I don't know, in the whole region, the IMF and like other big banking institutions have really pushed for these neoliberal policies to be put in place. So it's kind of the culmination of years of pushing for one sort of economic progress that has kind of, in my eyes, led to the crumbling of policy for many Latin Americans. Yeah, that's what's happening right now in Brazil. You have a neoliberal minister of the economy and his his powers were increased by the Bolsonaro government and um, we're in the middle of a pandemic and he's in discussions of privatizing the Bank of Brazil and privatizing other aspects of the state and it's interesting to to recognize that while we are in the middle of 
a pandemic and we're supposed to be understanding what other states' capacities and to provide social services. And this person is um, thinking of privatizing and reducing the state's capacity to do many things. And in the middle of this pandemic, we had many political crises in Brazil. Um, one of the major ones was the assignment of the Ministry of Justice of the Bolsonaro government, and he was the Super Minister of Justice. Um, and he was the one that was responsible for de uh, dealing with the Lava Jato or the car wash operations back in 2017. And he, become, he became a Minister of Justice for Bolsonaro. And he resigned, um, claiming that Bolsonaro was influencing the appointments at the federal police because Bolsonaro would be interested in who was the head of the federal police because the federal police is currently investigating his his uh, son for political uh, for political corruption charges and this was a major blow to his government and to his popularity because it was again a kind of a corruption scandal among a politician and a uh, a political ideology that vouches to destroy and reduce corruption. And I'm wondering if there were any political crises in your countries. Were there any political crises that kind of led to a setback in how your countries dealt with the quarantine? Yeah, in um, Ecuador, we had a lot of corruption scandals related to what the government bought for the pandemic. Even the bags for bodies were bought in like really high prices. And then after like investigations, they, they saw that there was a lot of corruption going on. Even like um, the basic uh, food baskets were really, really like expensive. And the argument was that they had gluten-free noodles and that's why they were so expensive. And it was it was just crazy. So uh, even right now, we have a lot of corruption scandals going on too, and we have an upcoming election. So there's the political crisis in Ecuador. I would also like to add that our vice president uh, resigned at the beginning of uh, July. So I think that when when you don't have someone to look for. And there was no representation at all after he, he resigned. It, it was, okay, I'm just gonna give a little bit of background because the vice president that we elected, he was sent to jail because of some corruption scandals related to um, the company Odebrecht in, in Brazil, right? So after that, this other person was um, assigned. It wasn't, he wasn't elected by popular vote, but then he resigned again in, in July, so there's, I will say that these just add to the feeling of citizens not feeling represented by the ones they they vote for, right? And now there's this other uh, person elected, and when I will just say that when, when you don't, when you have someone in a position of power and leadership that you didn't vote for, like how can you feel connected to the person? How how do you know that this person is going to advocate for for the benefit of, of the whole country, right? So there's I think there are a lot of mixed feelings in Ecuador right now about politics and how people engage with politics. I, I would not be surprised if this affects the, the entire upcoming elections and how not having officials that represent the people are affecting what democracy is uh, and what democracy is supposed to look like. 
Um, so this has the, the whole uh, politics situation has a lot of it's going to have a lot of effects in in our short term and long term like policies and how they even like the society uh, works. I also want to add I think a really good example that we can look at in Chile is how Chile has been dealing with a really big political social economic scandal for the past months in October Chile faced one of the largest social uprisings that we have seen in years with protests that led to well people having protests every day having protests that got up to one million people that pretty much for people who don't know started with the response of the people in the Santiago Metro subway fare and how it rose which to some people may sound crazy because why would people start protesting if the metro fare raises for a few cents? Well, for people who live on a day-to-day -day basis, it's not just that, it's the increased cost of living, it's privatization, it's the inequality of our country being prevalent. So for the government, this was a really big hit because people were just doing uprisings and which this really led to the government having a national referendum or deciding to have a national referendum vote, which looking back at Chilean history, this really opens up a lot of wounds that we've had for years. And well, our country also being in a state of emergency because of this is just a lot of political upheaval that just got heightened because we were gonna have the national referendum in April Yet, because of COVID, now we're having the national referendum in October. However, because we're not having the national referendum, it gets a lot of people really mad because for people who are not trusting the government, it may seem like the government maybe is not, do, is not looking at their interests first. So this also creates a lot of political upheaval because our government is just losing popularity every day and yet people are still not getting their national referendum so i feel it's interesting this whole discussion of how once again governments are trying to create this policies yet in latin america one time and one time again we see people expressing different interests and people just really being not so trusting of the government and its policies and what it will really do and the government not really being able to do anything about it because, well, this, the trust is just not there. Oh man, where do I start? Um, so our political scandal is an interesting one. Our, the ex-president, uh, Alvaro Uribe, he was found to, well, they put him in a house arrest while they determine all the legalities and the charges. But he's under investigation for tampering with witnesses during some legal procedures in 2014 because, you know, the allegations, and it has been proven, but, you know, it's kind of wishy-washy, um, that back during his presidency, he paid off paramilitaries, so the right-wing extremists, to kill innocent civilians so that they could up the, the tally of how many, like, guerrilleros they had killed. So just a brief rundown, you know, in Colombia, ongoing civil war, left Marxist groups started, and then in response, there's a right-wing group. Today, you know, nowadays, they're not so ideological. But basically, during his presidency, he paid the right-wing group 
to kill civilians in order to make it look like he was defeating the evil left. Like, look at all these people that the military have killed, all these leftists, right? So that's kind of the scandal that's happening. And, and a lot of people think Uribe is the, is the best president ever because, uh, you know, the Civil War did kind of die down during his term. So Duque, the president in power right now, is kind of his little puppet mentee. And so a lot of people, you know, are now starting to distrust Duke and his intentions for the country. But at the same time, a lot of people like praise him. So in response to COVID, I don't think much is happening there, but definitely there's an, a, a giant polarization in the happening in our politics that definitely will impact our next elections and the policies to come. It's interesting to see all these, uh, the declining of, of trust in like government and the politicians and political institutions and I'm just really wondering what it's like the next few months are going to look like for Latin America um, not only as to how these, our uh, different governments are uh, managing the entire pandemic but also how uh, the newly elected officials are gonna promote programs and services that will try to support all the citizens so I'm just really wondering what's that gonna look like and I think it's just an open question because right now we, we, we don't have the answer and I'm just afraid that we are not prepared to even answer it yet. Yeah, I understand. But I <clears throat> I'm more worried about the situation in Brazil and I'm worried if Latin America is gonna follow the same trend of following this um authoritarian right wing, some would say fascist um ideology which is followed by Bolsonaro. Um, because it's decrepit and it destroys our institutions and it has been destroying our institutions for the past year and a half. And it has um, delayed our response to the COVID crisis. It has delayed it has delayed the support for people that actually need it. And um, it has created several international blunders even throughout its one year and a half now in power. So I hopeful, I'm hopeful that um, Latin America is not going to follow the same um, right-wing trend that Brazil did, because if it does, it's going to keep on having this like similar attitudes that we've seen in the past few months, like Bolsonaro going out in a rally in the middle of quarantine to support the closure of the Congress. Uh, these things are just unacceptable and can't happen. Um, they have delayed the response that Brazil has has proposed itself to do during the pandemic. And I'm hope and hopefully it's not going to happen the same thing in other Latin American countries. I think it's kind of hard to say what's going to happen. And I'll speak from just my point of view, my Colombian point of view. Colombians always had kind of the same politicians in power. We've never had anyone from the left be a president ever, ever, ever. So for me, I think the situation really isn't going to change because for them, this is the way it is and this way it's going to continue being. Um, but what you were saying, though, I find really interesting about this rise of an authoritarian right. Um, you know, none of us here are Bolivian, but I've been reading up about Bolivia recently and, you know, their new interim president, Janine. <sighs> this might be a little conspiracy theory of me, but, you know, they're looking to privatize the lithium mines in, in in Bolivia which previously were publicly owned and we know lithium is used by renewable source energy cars 
I will not name drop the brand. And I think what's happening with the shadow of COVID, we're not really getting that much, not that much attention is being put towards these sorts of topics in Latin America. So I absolutely do see a more authoritarian regime, you know, gaining power under the guise of, you know, having to tighten our purse strings because of COVID. I definitely agree. Like, I, I'm sensing that a really big theme or worry that all of us have is that one thing we really can't afford to lose in Latin America is this democracy or an idea of democracy that people have worked so hard to build and yet a lot of countries are not there yet and they have years to really get there but we we really can't afford to go back can't afford to go back or it's just really a constant improvement yet although unpopular I am optimistic to the future that Latin America has especially because of what I've seen in Chile and the solidarity that I've seen with people. Um, the government announced a few days ago it's a 11.7 billion aid package for small businesses and what this has really turned into in my country is more of small businesses wanting to help people who are not getting the money they should be right now and creating a lot of small boxes, really being more giving solidarity, giving out products through different boxes with like essential items that people cannot afford to not have. So although maybe people are hesitant to trust governments and governments are doing certain things and maybe are lacking in certain things, I feel that it's in the hands of the people right now to take these aid packages the government is offering to them and try and be optimistic and try to get the best out of each other in these times. I feel that really, I think, is something I'll always remember from my country is how in these states of catastrophe and emergency, we really try to build each other up. And I think the constant examples of this are just seen once. Juliana, you, you mentioned something about democracy and how you're scared and for democracy that's struggling. Could you, you know, maybe like define that a little bit or explain like why, why that fear? Definitely. Um, well, when I was tackling this idea of democracy and how we can't afford to lose this in Latin America, I think that, well, Latin America for years really is been, has been having this fight with authoritarian rulers and like the right, left and how the sense of democracy really returned power, giving accountability to the people that maybe they didn't always have. And I think this is a struggle in a lot of Latin American countries where maybe the rulers or their presidents are not really, uh, presidents are more to the right wing than the left wing. And I think a lot of inequality stems from that. Yet, I think that in these times of pandemic, solidarity is something that people have. And how really, I think that what I was trying to say with this comment is how we just have to try to build each other up and how in the times of a global pandemic, these rights that people have, quarantining or staying home, being just not being able to leave your house, maybe sometimes are a little bit jeopardized, yet um, we still have to work hard to build each other up. And we'll definitely keep an eye and keep supporting each other. And for now, I would like to close this podcast. Um, I'd like to thank everyone for coming, um, reminding everyone that El Cafecito is available on Spotify, iTunes, and SoundCloud. Thanks again, and I'll see everyone next week. Bye-bye. Bye. -bye. Bye.